What a privilege it is for me to be here with you this morning. It wasn't planned this way, but this is almost exactly the 45th anniversary of the first time I preached at Temple Baptist Church in Sarnia. I came to town as a young 35-year-old pastor, and uh, Pastor Lambert Baptist and the board of Temple, along with the home mission board of the fellowship, asked me to come to Sarnia and plant a church in the east end of the city, where there was at that time no churches. And another church later moved in to the east end of the city. Oh, Temple. Um, so it was, a, it was a joy to preach then and a joy to preach now. It just hit me this morning. I've probably preached here longer than any other person ever has over a longer period of time, but only from time to time, which makes it easier for the rest of you. I'm excited about tomorrow. I, I'm just fairly bouncing up and down about tomorrow, because tomorrow, well, you may ask, why are you excited about tomorrow? Was that going through your mind at all? So tomorrow, tomorrow's the day that I start as some things that are very important for all of us. I'm, I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to start back to the gym. I'm going to start walking two and a half miles a day. I'm, and also I'm getting more serious about my spiritual life. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to spend more time reading God's Word. I'm going to spend more time preparing my sermons. I'm just going to be... Wait. Oh. Tomorrow I'm I'll probably be pretty tired because I preach today. So maybe, oh, Tuesday's a busy day. Let me check Wednesday. Oh, boy. Wednesday, I'm out of town. Soon, soon. I've made all the decisions. I just haven't put them into practice yet. I, I know what I'm going to do. I know all the things that have to happen. I, I'm, but soon I'm going to do it. Is there anybody that feels a little bit like, have you ever been there? I'm going to do this. I'm going to. I'm going to do. I'm going to make headway in this area, in that area, in my physical life, my spiritual life, all those kinds of things. I'm. I really am going to do better. But today's a busy day. Today's not the best day for this. I. I just want to do it, and I will. I'm pretty sure I will. In Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read a few verses before the verses that I'm actually going to deal with. So I'm going to start at verse 8 and read through verse 15. I invite you, if you will, and if you can, to stand with me as we read God's Word together, as is our habit here. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. 
As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. You may be seated. In this passage, we have God's offer. He's made an offer to you and me as he had made an offer to the children of Israel. But he also shares with us a danger and then a way through that danger. So he says here that there is for us, as there was for the children of Israel, if they would have obeyed God, if they would have responded in faith to God, there was a rest for the children of Israel, and God has promised you and me a place of rest. They were going to go into the promised land that God had told them about, a land that he said was flowing with milk and honey. And they had seen some amazing things. They had walked through the Red Sea on dry land. God had opened it up. Not only did he open it up, he dried it out. And they, they walked through on dry land. Wow. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool if you could see something like that? If you could, and can you imagine? You're looking up. Whoa. Whoa. Sure hope that doesn't come down on us. And they're walking through. And they get to the other side. And they have seen the power of God in their midst. And then they begin to walk. It's an 11-day journey's walk from Egypt to the Promised Land. Took them 40 years. But it, it could be done in 11 days. But they were unable to trust God, unwilling to trust God. They came three days into the wilderness, and what did they find? Well, what did they not find? They didn't find any water. And so what did they say? Oh, God, why have you brought us out here to die of thirst? It would have been better to be back in Egypt. And time and time again, they said that. And, you know, have you ever read those stories and thought to yourself, here's what I think to myself. Those people. I can't believe them. I would never be like that. I mean, I, I, I have seen, I, I believe God's promises, and, and I wouldn't be like that at all. And then it's like I hear a voice saying, oh, so you've never come into difficult circumstances in your life and not seen God at work in your life? And said, where is God? Why is God letting me go through this? 
You see, God has made us promises of rest, but he hasn't made us a promise that in this life, in this world, there would be no trouble for us. He has not told us that there would be no questions, that there would be no what-ifs. He has told us that he will be with us in those what-ifs. He had promised the children of Israel he would go with them, he would bring them into that land, but he did not promise them it would be easy all the way, and he hasn't promised that to us either. And yet, when we come to those times in our lives when there's sorrow, when there's difficulty, when there's heartache, when people turn against us, when we lose our job, when the doctor gives us bad news, all those kinds of things. And what do we say? I don't know about you, but I say, where's God? What's going on here? I thought, God, you wanted good things for me. And deep down, I'm not as much better than the children of Israel as I want to believe. We still struggle with having seen the marvelous grace of God. God did the most amazing thing. He supplied all of our needs in Christ Jesus when he sent him to the cross and raised him from the dead. There's nothing more, there's nothing greater that God could ever do in my life than the salvation that I've experienced when I put my faith in Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead because he had died for my sins. That's the love of God. There could be no greater demonstration of the love of God than that. And yet I constantly want more. And so God has made a promise to us, as he did to the children of Israel. I have, a, I have a place of rest for you. You can rest in me. You can know that ultimately I am going to bring you to glory and you will forget all of the troubles and sorrows and agony you ever had. The last thing I read in the Bible is that God is going to wipe away every tear. You'll never cry again. You'll never want to cry again. You'll never sorrow again. And that's where we're going if our faith is in Jesus Christ. So that's God's promise for us. But there's a danger that we're not going to get there in the way that we, in the way that we should. There's a, there's a warning. And it's, it starts way back in the Old Testament, and, and that's what he talks about in this passage. He, he uses the children of Israel as the illustration so that you and I can see the danger and we can find our way through it. And so in Psalm 95, it says this, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. So he's, he, he tells us there's a, there, there's a rest. And don't harden your hearts because that will keep you from going into the rest. That's what kept the children of Israel 
40 years in the wilderness. They didn't believe the promises of God, and they refused to trust him. And it cost them a whole generation in the wilderness. You know, some portions of the Bible are so familiar, they, they lose their, their meaning because we, we can recite them. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in green pastures. He, he restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, that's what's coming. This is preparing us. That trip through the wilderness was to be their experience of learning faith in God, and they failed the test. They didn't learn the faith, and it cost them all of those years and an entire generation. And you know, I, no one of us is free from this possibility. Who was one of the men in the Old Testament who saw the most amazing miracles from God and God used him to do the most amazing miracles? Well, your mind went immediately to Elijah, just like mine, didn't it? If it didn't, don't confess. He's calling down fire from heaven. He's he's. Raising the dead. He's doing all kinds of amazing things. And yet, there came a day when Jezebel said to him, after he had called down fire from heaven, tomorrow I'm going to make you like the prophets that were killed today, the false prophets of Baal. You're going to be dead by tomorrow. And Elijah said, oh no, God's got me. Wait a minute. That's not what he said, was it? He said, I better get out of here. I'm out of here, gone. I'm and he ran and he ran and he ran till he could run no more. And he said to God, I'm no better than my fathers. Why did he say that? Because his fathers were all dead. So he said, God, just take my life. Now, did he mean that? He didn't. He was feeling sorry for himself. <clears throat> he was having a pity party. If he wanted to die, all he had to do was stay home. Jezebel had promised him she'd deal with it for him. Now, I don't suppose anybody here has struggled with feeling sorry for yourself. But some of God's greatest men and women have felt sorry for themselves. They have lost sight of what God is doing in their lives, even though they have seen that he has worked in their lives. 
Jesus said, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. It is not the purpose of Jesus to lead us into a life of defeat and discouragement and heartache and sorrow. It's the purpose of Jesus to lead us into a life of rest in God because we trust him no matter what hits us. That's the promise of Jesus. But there's a, there's a danger. There's a danger that I may allow myself to drift away and not enjoy that rest. The children of Israel were delivered from slavery, but they, they drifted away. They didn't enjoy the, the rest that God had for them. They'd seen the plagues. They'd seen the Red Sea. They had seen so many things that God had done for them and in them. But within days, they complained bitterly against God and against Moses. They looked at their immediate circumstances. Three days into the wilderness, no water. And they did this time and time again. They looked at what's right in front of them or what's not right in front of them, which in this case was water. A few days later, it was food. A few days later, it was water again, and one after the other. They forgot the good things that God had already done for them. And I, I wonder about you and me. Do we forget the good things that God has already done when we look at the situation that we're facing at the moment and it looks hard. Maybe it even looks impossible. And we were tempted to forget the goodness of God. The, the immediate circumstances say God is not good. And then it, when, I, when I look at them and, and say I would never do that, it's like God says to me, I can't believe how often you do look at the circumstances and forget about the goodness of God in your life. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten my goodness? Have you forgotten my salvation? Have you forgotten my provision in the past? <laughs> you see, they're, they were unbelieving an unbelieving heart an unbelieving heart leads to a rebellious heart it leads to a heart that is hardened notice verse 12 in the passage we began with in Hebrews chapter 3 and it says there Take care, brothers. It says brothers, it includes sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. We always, constantly, need to be careful. We need to be looking into our heart and saying, what is there in my heart that is unbelieving right now? 
What is there in my life that is not trusting God? What is there in my circumstance that I have forgotten God in? And he says the problem, where where does he say the problem is? An evil, unbelieving heart. The problems never started up here. The problem always starts in here. It's my heart. People say, well, you know, I have a problem believing. I have trouble believing. It's not because of up here. It's because of my heart. My heart is not seeking after God. Charles Darwin, long before he ever came up with his ideas about evolution, had a fight with God and turned and walked away from God and now had to find another solution. It didn't start in his head. It started in his heart. And our problems always start in our heart. The problem is not that I cannot believe. The problem is I will not believe. The problem is not that I cannot see what God is doing and what God has done. The problem is I will not because my heart is not right. The danger is not seeing sin as a liar from the beginning. My confidence is, I can handle it. I can do it myself. I can look after these things. I can, whatever it is I need to do. My confidence is, I can do it. But I can't. And you can't either. And so in our hearts, we must come to that place where we will serve God no matter what, where we will trust him no matter what, where we will walk with him and follow him no matter what happens and whatever comes into our lives. I can trust God and yield to his way. His way. That's the only way that you and I can properly live the Christian life. There's a hauntingly beautiful melody that Frank Sinatra used to sing with words straight from hell. I did it my way. I did it my way. And when, if I come to the end of my life and say, I did it my way, my life will have failed automatically because I have left God out. If I come to the end and say those things, I had a few regrets but nothing big, then I know that I didn't follow God. I know that I didn't serve him. I know that he's not mine and I'm not his. We're in constant danger of wandering away It's so easy to wander. And it takes diligence and perseverance to follow closely on the heels of the Lord. It's not easy. It's not simple. But it is rewarding. It is the life of joy and peace and safety. And so I need to acknowledge the danger. How How am I going to get through this? How am I going to come to that place where God wants me to be? 
and, and experience that joy and that peace in my life? Well, I have to, first of all, acknowledge the danger. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leaving you to fall away from the living God. Or again, in, in verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He doesn't say get your mind straightened out. He says don't harden your heart because if you harden your heart, you're going to fall away. You're going to walk away. Jesus said to his disciples, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. You see, he's telling him constantly, you have to be vigilant. Temptation is going to grab you. It's constantly with us. It's constantly seeking us. The devil is ever after us all the time. And we need to be vigilant lest temptation take us by surprise and lead us away. So I need to listen to the Holy Spirit. I need to listen in my heart. That's what he's telling us here. In your heart, follow the Lord. Listen to the words and the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Open God's word. See what he's saying to you. And then there's another way as well. We need to have others in our lives. What is it he, what is he said here in verse 13? I'm just wondering. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I need other people in my life. You need other people in your life. You see, he says here, we are to exhort one another. We have a, a relationship with each other. Our relationship as Christians is not simply with Jesus. It's not simply with God, with the Holy Spirit, with our Savior. It's with one another. And a lot of people have forgotten that. And so I want to remind you that we desperately need one another. God says that. You cannot live the Christian life alone. You can't. You cannot live the Christian life alone. That sounds a little shocking maybe. You can be saved alone. Many of us were. Some of you were, somebody came and sat down with you and, and led you to the Lord. But others are maybe like me. I was, I was lying in bed one Sunday night. I have no, there, I had, we had been to church. I have no idea what the sermon was about. I was going to ask you if you remembered what I preached 45 years ago. But I don't either, so I thought that would be embarrassing. So I'm, I'm, I need other people in my life. Now, the New Testament is filled with that. You've all run across people who don't believe that. I heard about a conversation 
not so long ago, and somebody said uh, about another couple, they're, they're not going to church now, but they are just as close to Christ as they ever were. And when I heard that, I just blurted out, no, they're not. Excuse me, you grumpy old judgmental man. How can you say that? No, they're not. You don't know that. I, I, I don't know what's going on at, at all. You're, that's right. But I do know what Jesus said about one another. I, I do know that he prayed that we would look after one another. I, I do know that when I took a quick look, in a few minutes I found maybe eight specific passages in the New Testament that tell us we need to gather together, that we are a church, that we are one body, that we need one another, that God has planned for us to feed one another, to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to bless one another, to help one another. The entirety of the New Testament is about that. All of the epistles are either to to the church as a whole, or the ones that are addressed to a single person are about how he's to look after the church. The church, Jesus said he died for the church. The New Testament says he died for the church and became the head of the church. There is a universal church, but the local expression of that church is the thing that we can experience personally. You cannot Live the way God wants you to live without the church, without other people in your life. Well, if I were to look into Hebrews and just happen to open to chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another in love to good works. You know, I, I can stir people up. I'm pretty good at I can stir my wife up. she tell you about that. I can stir my kids up. That's, but that's not exactly why... Let me read the rest of the verse. Stir one another up to love and good works. We are, we are to encourage one another in love and good works. We're to pray for one another. We give to help those of us who are struggling. We, we work together in the church to show the world what it means to love Jesus. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the day is a lot nearer than it was when this book was written, isn't it? And so we, were, we are called to urge one another to stir up one another to good works, to love, to compassion. And you cannot do that alone. That's why somebody will say to me, well, pastor, what about, what about somebody that's in a, in a home or something? They can't get out and come to church. Well, then let's take the church to them. Let's not forget them. Let's stir them up to encouragement and 
the knowledge that they haven't been forgotten. Let's be the church to them. It's like somebody said to me, you know, baptism's not necessary. Look at the thief on the cross. And I say to them, well, that's true. And if you're saved while you're on a cross, you're off the hook too. You don't need to get baptized. Otherwise, let's get down here and get baptized. That's Jesus' command. It's the command. It's, it was, wasn't given us as an option. Loving one another wasn't giving us an option. Caring for one another wasn't presented in the New Testament as an option. It's presented as what you and I are responsible to do. That's, that's our... And when I am involved in encouraging you, and when you are involved in encouraging them, and when you are encouraging somebody else over here, and when you're challenging one another, do you know what happens? You are drawn closer to the Lord as well. You see, then we are actively involved in God's work. God didn't call us just to be saved. Salvation is not just fire insurance. Salvation is the joy of serving Jesus Christ who gave himself for us and serving him not only forever but right now and right here in the lives of other people. That's what God has called us to. Somebody, sometimes, we, we need, I believe every one of us needs somebody in our lives, in our life that we have given the permission to say anything they need to, and I won't get mad. So, probably not your spouse. My wife's job is to, after the service, say, mm, that was great. That's her job. But every one of us needs someone that we will listen to if they challenge us. Because every single one of us has a tendency to wander. There are no exceptions to that. That's the word of God. And we need somebody who loves us and cares about us to say, uh, you're slipping a little bit. You missed the last three weeks. Where were you? Is fishing more important than Jesus? And then you promise, I won't get mad when you tell me what's going on. You've heard, you've heard people, you, you, you challenge somebody, and what do they say to you? Don't preach to me. Like, what could be the worst thing in the world you could do? Preach to me. How do you make the thing, that makes me feel. That's what I do. <laughs> Preaching is simply opening God's truth and helping other people to live it. And you and I all have a responsibility to help someone live it. We have a responsibility to help someone who is struggling. We have a responsibility to help someone who is poor. We have a responsibility to one another. That's what God has called us to. So, what is it you need today? What, what, what is the thing 
that is in your life that you need to deal with today? Are you, are you involved in somebody else's life? If you were to pass away, would anybody say, oh, she helped me. He blessed me. What a wonderful thing if somebody says, you helped me. You were an encouragement to me. You strengthened my faith. You helped me when I was in need. I've talked about the fact that we can't live the Christian life alone. And, and maybe there's someone here this morning. And you're not, when I talk about drifting from the Lord, you're, you're like, I'm not sure if I ever was close to him. I'm not sure if I ever have, have had that personal relationship you talk about. And maybe this morning is the morning you need to come to Jesus and tell him, Lord, I need you. I'm a sinner, and I want to come into your family. I want to be about this, this joy and this rest and this sharing that you're talking about. As we close our service this morning, and as the worship team comes back to lead us once more, there'll be people available to pray with you if you want to come, if you have a need, if you need encouragement, if you need strength, if you need to come to know Jesus, there'll be people who will come and pray with you. We have people every Sunday who are available to minister to you, and you feel free to come as we close. Worship team, take us to Jesus again. Mm -hmm.